0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's uh, our uh, privilege to welcome you and to invite you to stay with us. Maybe grab a Bible, if you can, to be able to follow up with the discussion we'll have today. And I would like to welcome our panel. Ken, it's good to have you with us.
1: Yes, it's uh, wonderful to be here again, Nick. Really looking forward to today's
0: lesson. Joe, it's good to have you joining.
2: It's good to be here, Nick. Thank you very much.
0: Brenton, thank you for coming. Thank you,
3: Nick. We're looking forward to sharing your Psalm 23 today.
0: And Lydia, it's good to have you with us too.
4: Yes, thank God. I feel very blessed always.
0: Will, thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick.
5: Psalm 23, absolutely special.
0: Indeed. And Len, thank you for uh, putting together this uh, Bible study and facilitating today. Welcome.
6: Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. Well, we have just commenced a series of new studies, listeners, entitled, In the Crucible with Christ. Now, that might sound like a bit of a weird study after we've done Genesis. But we'll deal with the experiences of Christ and those of many of his followers who went through numerous difficulties and yet maintained their faith and integrity. We'll try to show that pain, suffering and loss don't mean that God has abandoned us. They only mean that as believers we share in the common lot of a fallen race. There is a difference, however. Through Jesus and the hope he offers, we can find meaning and purpose in what may sometimes seem meaningless And purposeless We can also know That we can trust in the promise That all things work together For the good of those Who love God So with that preamble um, I'm going to invite you To bow your heads with us in prayer While Will leads us Thank you Will
5: Dear Lord as we approach The question of endurance And the test In the Christian life, we pray for your guidance. We do want to acknowledge your assurance that you will be with us to comfort and encourage and guide us, even when passing through the valley of shadows. Teach us to trust you, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
6: Thank you, Will. So, what is a crucible, since we're talking about in the crucible with Christ? What is a crucible? What's it used for? Well Len, this is an
1: interesting one. It is a vessel or container that can withstand extreme heat and is used to smelt, test, mix and refine metals. It produces fine or tool steel. The earliest known use of the technique occurred in India and Central Asia in the early first millennium. The steel was produced by heating wrought iron with materials rich in carbon, such as charcoal and closed vessels, it was also known as woods and later as Damascus steel, which is quite interesting. About 800 AD, the crucible process appeared in northern Europe, likely as a result of the trade contact with the Middle East, where it was used to make high-quality swords used by the Vikings.
6: Okay, well, that we certainly have a good. Um, (coughs) understanding what a crucible is. I don't know if you've ever seen a crucible, but usually what happens, uh, the dross, the rubbish that's not required in the metal that's being uh, melted will rise to the top and that gets skimmed off Mm -hmm. so you can have nice pure metal. So, Ledger, how does the crucible analogy apply to people, and in particular, how does it apply to Christians?
4: Um, People who are uh, loving the Lord and uh, follow him, follow his principles, they are guided by the Holy Spirit, by God. And uh, in Hebrew, we have a verse which says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So as, a, as an earthly parent is guiding his children, our Heavenly Father is guiding his children also. So we have to listen. If we listen to him and we, if we let ourselves be guided by him, we will be on the right path.
6: Yes. And um, we have tests and troubles and trials in our lives, and they're not there just to make us feel unhappy but they're there to refine us and strengthen us. Just um, out a little bit from where I'm sitting, I can see an avocado tree, which I planted nearly two years ago. It's been tied to a stake, and I thought, well, this tree needs a little bit of um, wind pushing it around to strengthen the, the trunk. It's not what you'd call a trunk yet. It's rather slender. So I undid the ties from the stake, and you know what happened? It fell over. It just bent like a hairpin. It didn't snap or anything, so I had to tie it up back up again. But I was hoping that being pushed around a bit by the wind would strengthen it. It hasn't reached that stage yet. And you know, listeners, the Bible sometimes uses metaphors and, or similes, to convey and enrich meanings. And one of those metaphors, as in Psalm chapter 23, pictures God as a shepherd. So, Nick, I know you have an agricultural background or a pastoral background as well. What do you know about shepherds?
0: A Lennon panel in the Bible we find out quite a bit uh, talking about the shepherd and the flock, particularly in the Psalms, as we are going to look a little bit more today in those beautiful uh, passages in the Bible. And you're right, uh, I grew up uh, the farm, and from generation and generations we're raising sheep. And uh, it's interesting, it's different than here in Australia. Probably it's more... Similar with uh, how uh, was uh, in Middle East, uh, the experience of the shepherds and the flock and all those things. But one thing which is very important to acknowledge and to recognize is that the relationship in between the shepherd and his flock and the sheep. Elijah was sharing that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he's with us together through all the trials and the hardship and all the difficult time in the crucible as was pointed out that's exactly the role of the shepherd is not just to raise the sheep and to explode the flock, let's say to get the milk, get the meat and all those things Now it's a relationship because they spend time together in the wilderness and they are Shepherd and sheep, they are exposed to difficulties and to the wild life. And it's important to have that relationship. And one thing which I remember now, myself being the youngest in the family, I supposed to be the one to take over the farm, but it was not my call, I believe. But my eldest brother he took over, and he's an amazing uh, shepherd. I mean, he will know from hundreds of sheep every single one and will name every single one and will call it. And he will look over the flock and will say, oh, where is that uh, that one which he will call the name? And then, if he realize that that sheep particularly is not there, will start to call it. And you know, sometime you'll find or you'll hear a noise or something from the sheep because the sheep will recognize also the one who's calling. And this is very beautiful. You know, it's it's a relationship. Now, I could go on and on on this, but I would like to read the passage in the Bible today. It's an interesting one. In We find this one in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 34, and from verse 12, it says here, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on, on a cloudy and dark day. That seems like our times we live in, in a very cloudly and dark days. But the promise is that our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the shepherd, will take care of us and he will call upon us and he will deliver us. And that's, that's beautiful. I mean, if I look on uh, in Psalms uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 11, it says, do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Those are the words of another shepherd, which you may recognize in the Bible, David, who grew up with the sheep around him. It's a wonderful story if we look into this uh, context of the relationship of the shepherd and the flock.
6: Yes, you were saying, Nick, it's the responsibility of a shepherd to take care of his sheep. There's another dimension When it's cold And the sheep get cold The shepherd is cold too When it's raining And the sheep get wet The shepherd gets wet too And the intent of What we're studying today Shows that God Through Jesus Experienced all the trials Of human existence Just as we have Therefore He can relate to us. You know, there are some people who hold the idea that God is aloof. God is up there. He he sort of created us and after that lost interest. But what we're learning today, and you will see time and time again as you read through the Psalms, is that God is extremely, intensely, interested in us human beings. Well we are studying Psalm twenty three. So Joe would you like to read Psalm twenty three in its entirety?
2: Certainly it's only six verses and here it goes The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
6: Yes, um, Psalm 23 is probably the best known of all psalms, and it's a beautiful psalm, and I think it's given many people comfort. But, you know, when it starts, just like Genesis, because Genesis starts uh, with the words, In the beginning, God. Straight away, we're introduced in the Bible to God. But in Psalm 23, it starts with the Lord is my shepherd. Straight away, we're introduced to God in a different sense, not as creator, but as someone who loves and cares for us. Well, one of those first uh, sections there, Will, it says the Lord makes me, or us should I say, lie down in green pastures. What would you like to say about that?
5: You know, sheep lying down in green pastures paints a very peaceful scene. We know that the Bible tells us that there is no peace for the wicked, and that Jesus offers peace not like the world's so-called peace, but a secure and long-lasting one. In fact, I believe, Len, that no one can rest or be, have peace in their hearts while they are captive cap, captives of sin. It's not until the weight of a guilty conscience and the sin is removed that uh, peace can come. I, I like the statement that God heals the troubled soul when he forgives our sins. In, in the spiritual communion with him, The hungry heart uh, finds food that satisfies. It feeds upon the word of God. And the thirsty soul drinks deep from the cool, still waters. By these blessings to which the great shepherd leads us, we find our souls restored, uh, life, natural life invigorated, and the spiritual life reborn.
6: Thank you, Will. Well, if we go a little further, we're not going to do every little section in Psalm 23. It says, he guides me or leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Brenton, what's your comment on this?
3: Well, the paths one, first of all, then, is an interesting one. Uh, The literal meaning of the word in Psalm 23 is wagon tracks. Now, um, some of us can remember back to uh, having seen wagon tracks around the place, but it's really talking about broad, smooth, well-marked paths. The shepherd used to lead his sheep, and I've actually seen this in Turkey when I was in Turkey a few years ago, the shepherd leads in well-marked paths so that the sheep don't stumble. I know we're going to come to the valley of the shadow of death and I won't comment on that, but uh, nevertheless, uh, this is really interesting. Because of these wagon tracks, um, the shepherd chooses a path whereby the sheep can follow him safely. The way it's presented, what um, Will said is actually very important. The peace that comes is, uh, comes as a result of lying down in green pastures. But can I put a couple of points here? Firstly, sheep do not eat lying down. They eat standing up. And, um, interestingly enough, what does the shepherd spend most of his time doing with the sheep? He observes the sheep. Now, that's an interesting metaphor. I've thought about that a lot as we were preparing this study, Len. Uh, the, the shepherd spends the bulk of his day observing his flock. What are they doing? Are they feeding? Are they resting? Are they seeking water? Are they looking around? Are they congregating together? What, whatever they happen to be doing. But in the context of what we're talking about, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I believe um, we have to have the rest first in order to be prepared for service. And there's an interesting quote here. We are not saved by our works, but we work because we are saved. We are not justified by works, but for works. And Paul talks about this for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Um, this is, this is a very, very interesting, um, section. I believe that in using the, um, Shepherd psalm in this sense, uh, the works that we do are works that indicate that we are saved. And what I find interesting about this is the last bit, for his name's sake. As I looked at that, I came up with a number of different reasons for that. Paul talks in Acts 20, verse 28, to the elders at Ephesus. He said, you will be made overseers of the flock. You are responsible for them. Christ is responsible for every single one of his sheep. Nick touched upon the point that he knows them by name, and that is very true. However, beyond that, he He gave his life for the sheep. And when you read um, John chapter 10, you get so many different metaphors that sort of fit in with this week's study. But one of them that touched me was the point that Jesus made when he was praying to his father, he said, Father, I have lost none of those that you have given me. I think that's very, very encouraging for
0: us today, Len.
6: Yes, Nick.
0: Just as uh, Brenton was uh, mentioning those things, again, it came into my mind, you know, the experience we had with uh, leading, you know, the sheep into the green pastures. And this is the thing. Before you get to those green places it's a long way with a lot of uh, trouble and sometime we are not able to feed the sheep for days maybe very little here and there we find a little bit of uh, of green or something like that to give them until we reach the green pastures and that's why when we got there you know, everyone lay down, you know, like the sheep and the shepherd, they they found a place and they could rest. Yes, And that's the parallel with us and Jesus, where he says that Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness. This is not on a very smooth, always on a very smooth uh, path. It could be in a very rocky, difficult ways of getting there, but the shepherd knows where the green pastures are and that's the comfort for him also for the shepherd but for the sheep because the sheep will follow the shepherd knowing that they will get what uh, what's best for them
6: yes re- you need to remember that the sheep is really a metaphor for human beings mm. and it it adds to the meaning of life when we consider the life of the sheep and the shepherd. And you would know, just like I know, the Christian life is not without its problems. Christians are human and suffer troubles like anyone else. They get sick and so on. Sometimes Christians are persecuted for their faith and like everyone else will eventually have to face death. However, Despite all the issues that God's people face, there is a difference. So, Joe, I know you read the whole of Psalm 23 before, but would you like to remind us what verse 4 says and then just open it up a little bit?
2: Certainly. Just in reference to the paths of righteousness that we just discussed, you know, the Good Shepherd will only lead us on paths of righteousness and it might be worth remembering that if we find ourselves on the path of unrighteousness, then we are not following the good shepherd. We might be just following a hireling. And um so we might need to review where we're going and who we are following. But with that verse four, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, sometimes when we, and when I say we, this includes everyone, who hasn't hit hard times, suffered losses and disappointments, dangers, and this could be by our own choices or even other people's choices. Now, when this happens, we can become so overwhelmed that we may be tempted to even doubt the existence of God. But David says here, hey, I have been there and I know I will come through okay because my shepherd is with me and he will protect me. I know that there is evil in the shadows, but I will cling to God and his word and he will get me through to safety. We may notice that earlier David refers to the shepherd as he in the sense that he maketh me to lie down. He leadeth me. He restoreth. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. But when it's walking through dark valleys, it changes to you are with me. It goes from he to you. It's important to notice that the dark shadow of Death Valley experience, David drew closer to the Lord. He addresses the Lord as you, whereas in the peaceful places, it was he. This is an example for us. If if one or you or I or whoever finds themselves struggling they need to draw closer to the good shepherd. And even though it may be tough, we can trust that we will get to our destination. God's word tells us that in John 14, we, we're all probably very familiar with this. We do not need to worry about the future, whatever it brings. Let not your heart be troubled and let neither let it be afraid. Um, that's probably just... Maybe a little bit, of course, but for years, I thought that the rod and staff was to give the shepherd, the shepherd carried the rod and staff to give his sheep a good whack when they go astray. <laughs> and I think there a few people might be able to associate with that. But it's, it's, only, it's only probably in the recent, fairly recent times that I've realized that the staff and the rod in his hand is there to guide and protect us from predators mm. And there's lots of them. The good shepherd does not hit his sheep with it in anger because we're going the wrong way. He taps, guides, redirects. It is the predators who need to fear the shepherd's staff, not the sheep. He will neither leave thee nor forsake thee. We can trust the good shepherd in the most challenging of experiences. He and his staff are there to comfort us.
0: And if I could add on that one, the staff, uh, Joe, you may saw that one, it's, it's a curved one, mm. um, many times you'll see that one. That has another role, Um even though you're right, you may protect the ship with a, a staff, but I'm not sure how efficient, you know, if you come before the bears and all other things. But actually the staff is also to hook the ship when it falls. When it falls into some pit or um, somewhere, it's a it's a very interesting concept. Mm. Uh, but you're right, actually, the staff indeed is not to necessarily, you know, beat the sheep.
4: There are there are two instruments here. There are, there is the rod and the staff. Mm. The rod it's a it's a big stick, very solid and strong to defeat, and the staff is the one which. He, uh, the shepherd protects, the one which he can rest on it, can use it for, uh, yeah, for himself also.
6: Yes, well, thank you for those contributions. So help us to understand how God deals with his people when they're in trouble. You know, listeners, if you read right through the Psalms, you will read of the varied experiences and emotions of um, the the psalmist, one of the main psalmist is David. In Psalm 22, he starts out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and, uh, and am not silent. And then of course we get to Psalm 23, when he realizes God's goodness, he has a totally different, um, approach. And that's our lives. We have our ups and downs. Now, Lydia, what did Jesus have to say to his followers about the problems of life?
4: As it says here, if, um, uh... We recognize the shepherd, our shepherd. I I like here when David is personalizing the shepherd. The shepherd is his. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. If we are sticking to the flock of the shepherd, it doesn't matter if you go to the valley of the shadow of danger or death or uh, you know, it says, "I will fear no evil." So it's future tense. No matter of the circumstances, you are with me. And um, in uh, Matthew, we have quite few uh, examples. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-five till thirty-four. It says, "Do not worry about whatever you eat. Do not worry about tomorrow, whatever you wear." uh and it's giving us the example look at the of the lilies of the field they not they don't do not labor or spin and um it's giving example about the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is is not so we need to have faith strong faith in god that the shepherd is is with us and um it says here Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So each day has enough trouble of its own. I would like to mention also that the paid shepherd doesn't care for the flock, but just the true shepherd is careful, caring for his flock because he loves the sheep. He loves the sheep tremendously and cares for them in any way.
6: Yes. Now, I grew up on the land and we had sheep, but we used to drive our sheep rather than lead the sheep. Mm. And um, I'm thinking of what Nick was saying before about leading the sheep and calling them by name. The sheep trust the shepherd. Now, why do they trust the shepherd? Because they know the shepherd cares for them. Have you ever heard of a flock of sheep having a committee meeting and complaining about the shepherd? Well, I guess it happens with people sometimes. We, some people try to blame God for their problems or blame God for not protecting them from problems. But the main part here, as of course, that Jesus said, "Well, God cares for you, He cares for the birds, He cares for the even the little things of life, so you can trust him now uh, in isaiah forty three chapter two, God makes a promise to his people, what is that promise? Ken
1: I we read here that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers." They shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Now, this is an interesting chapter because we see again and again God's people going astray and not following God. He has created Israel as a nation to honor his name, which they failed at so far. But he wanted to reassure them that they were still his people called by his name to be his witnesses on earth. They were not promised freedom from trouble or affliction as they had gone through water and fire many times, in other words, purifying agents to mold them into servants suitable for God's work.
6: Well, listeners, it was mentioned about through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, I've actually been through Death Valley in the United <laughs> States. It wasn't as bad as I thought we were um, We didn't have to walk. We're in an air-conditioned car flying along at at, uh, 60 miles an hour. But I've been through Death Valley. But, of course, life has its peaks and troughs, and some people have to deal with some really difficult things. Now, in order to encourage our listeners, I want to ask you as panel members, at least one or two of you might like to respond to this, what valley experiences or experience have you had and how did you come through it? And secondly, did you see the hand of God leading you through and out of that Death Valley experience? Who would like to respond to this? Thank you, Ken.
1: Well, then, again, this is a subject for me personally. I could probably spend the next oracle going through this easily uh, I've been through very, very many valleys of death over over the time of my life. But the most amazing thing to me is this, during these difficult times where I've been in incredibly serious excellence and uh, was very close to death, at this particular time, I didn't know God. And it was only actually many years later when I became a Christian that I realized that during these really difficult times, God was looking after me. Because, as I say, you've heard of the is it the, the cat of nine tails or whatever the saying is about you have so many lives. Well, I look back and I'm always amazed that I'm actually here today. But I absolutely know, without any doubt, that during these uh, uh, really uh, unfortunate times that I had, that God was with me and looking after me.
6: Yes. Yes, Lydia.
4: Yes, I can say, like Ken, I could have, I could take a few hours to talk about my shepherd leading my life in an amazing way through the good and bad.
3: Okay. And Brenton? Uh, basically, I would say this, Lynn. As a minister, I work with people all the time. And sometimes it seems when you're studying the word of God with people and then doing your best to encourage them to give their lives to him. Sometimes it almost seems as though um, all the effort, all the prayer, all the, all the um, shall we say, emotional investment that you're putting in um, doesn't appear to be breaking through uh, in the way that you would like to see it. But if you leave it in God's hands, I keep coming back to this rest in green pastures bit. Because you have to rest in the Lord, knowing that you've done what you can do. But those experiences can have two effects on them. They uh, they can make you feel depressed sometimes. But then, when you see God leading in the in ways that you have never imagined, Len, it's the most exciting thing to see God's hand working in ways when you think that someone that you're trying to help to know Jesus and doesn't seem to be responding, all of a sudden they respond and you say to yourself, where did that come from? I never saw that coming. That's an evidence of God's leading and guiding. You're you're in that part where I think where Joe read, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I think you're in that particular part where you simply trust the Lord and say, Lord, I want to see this person in the kingdom of heaven. I'm praying for them. I know that you want them there as well. Just help me to trust you, and I want to see the way that you're working in uh, leading this person to know Jesus. There's nothing more exciting than seeing someone give their hearts to the Lord.
6: Yes. Uh, And we'll make the, the last one for this section. Will, I'm sure you have a very powerful experience to share with us. I'd like to speak on behalf of everyone that may be going through
5: um, difficulties, either now or will uh, face difficulties soon. We must know that everyone faces these uh, testing times in their lives. And in desperation, we call out to God. I want everyone to know that you can take courage. Heaven does not allow us to be crushed in abandonment. Peace uh, can take the place of anger, envy and strife. And joy can take the place of sadness. You know, no one sees the hand that lifts the burden or uh, sees the light that descend from the courts above. But a blessing comes when the soul surrenders itself to God. And then a power, a heavenly power, which no human eye can see creates a new beginning for us. So basically, if you do face difficulty,
6: take courage. God is with you. Thank you for those encouraging words.
0: It's very interesting. Each one of us will have different uh, experiences and stories. But when I looked at myself, the most important thing was in my life when I realized that I cannot count on anything and on anybody around me, only on God. Sure. I came to few experiences where the peer pressure was on, And everyone had a different idea or opinion about myself. But I knew the truth. I knew where I am with my God. And I trusted that and God pulled me through. And later on, people could see what was the real thing rather than uh, to have uh, just an opinion or a certain attitude towards me.
6: Praise the Lord for that.
3: Good
0: point, Nick.
6: Well, now, Brenton, would you like to read Psalm 23.5 and please comment about it?
3: It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. In the um, first sense, bearing in mind that this is what we know as the shepherd's psalm, it would be referring to David as the shepherd going ahead of his flock. One of the jobs that the shepherd would do, and Nick would probably be aware of this as well, having come from a pastoral background, as has been mentioned, the shepherd also pulls out poisonous weeds and things that interfere with the animal's health, along the way so that when they do arrive at green pastures, there is no danger to them from poisonous plants. There is also no danger to them from wild animals. We've touched on the shepherd's crook and the shepherd's staff. Um, I believe the application to us today is probably a little wider than that. As Christians, I believe one of the greatest examples, and Len, you touched on it earlier on, One of the greatest examples that will have, I believe, the most powerful effect on people is preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Um, I'm immediately thinking of Christ's words where he said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've got a number of issues there. The one issue is conflict. So we as Christians today, and this applies to all of us, not only the panel, but those who are within the hearing of our voice today, this applies to us. We can have peace in the midst of conflict. That seems to be an oxymoron, but it's true. We can have peace in the midst of conflict. Uh, we can be surrounded by enemies. We can be surrounded by opposition but we still have Christ's peace because he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Then it says he anoints our head with oil. Now, anointing your head with oil in their culture was showing a sign of, shall we say, um, preferment. Uh, when a person went to visit someone's place for a meal, often their head would be anointed with oil. The initial application, believe it or not, going back to the shepherd is David would have had oil with him. At the end of the day, when the sheep came back to the sheepfold, uh, they would have had cuts and bruises, perhaps places uh, where they had hurt themselves. He would rub um, or massage oil into those areas to soothe them. And... We know the Bible talks about uh, the oil of anointing. The Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us and anoints our head with oil in the sense of we are peaceful, we are calm, and we trust in the Lord totally. So I can see both the initial application but also the spiritual application, the wider application here for us in this particular thing. I want us all to have that experience of having a table prepared in the presence of our enemies, and to understand what it means to have Christ um, anoint our heads with oil. I think it's a most wonderful illustration, Len.
6: Yes, we must also realise that enemies may not necessarily be human beings. True, true. Mm. Enemies such Good as point. temptation, a tendency to sin, or being at the wrong place at the wrong time can be an enemy for... Any particular individual. Yes, Ken?
1: I just wanted to make a comment on something Brenton mentioned there about my cup runneth over. For many, many years, I never really understood that, to be honest with you all. But not that long ago, I was really thinking about it, and I realised that, speaking for myself, and I'm sure probably the rest of the panel, that our cups really do run over with so many blessings. Yes. And... The Lord has never promised us that we're going to have riches and wonderful things in this life, but he has promised to be with us. And I think when you look around the world today, it's complete chaos and a mess. And yet for us, we are so blessed. And one of the things that we we're discussing before we went on air this morning, Len, you were talking about the peace that we have. And this is something else that overflows in our cup it runs over yes, because we have this peace and we're not concerned Uh, for ourselves with what's going on in the world because we have the peace of Jesus within us.
6: Yes, and that's a very important point, and it's very real.
2: I think it might be worth mentioning that this part, this piece that passes, passes understanding, and it's the cup that overflows, is available to everyone. Absolutely mm. everyone. It's not just for a select few who are probably good enough, but it's available to everyone who comes to the good shepherd and and, uh, and says, "I am. I want to be your sheep. I want to follow you." And um, yeah, God is waiting there. He's he's available to anyone and everyone. And um, it's just a matter of coming to him because he's waiting for us, all of us.
3: Yes, Brenton. Len, it's interesting that Joe should mention that because I was talking to someone in Queensland this week, uh, one of our our, um, members from Narraghort, and they were telling me about a story about the mayor of a local town in Queensland somewhere, somewhere in the region of Kingaroy. Uh, He walked into a church completely uninvited and unannounced and he said to the minister i want to know what i have to do to be saved i thought that was that was powerful because that is happening yes. and uh, this is all part of our cup overflows <laughs> god is good he he is just so good and uh, i think if we open our hearts to him and follow in the paths of the righteousness for his name's sake we won't go astray
6: yes Well, now, um, I know we've gone on a bit from the uh, verse that was read earlier about you prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. When it comes to human enemies, Lydia, what advice did Jesus give?
4: Jesus gives this advice, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in any circumstance. If we face enemies, We have to pray for them and we have to love them and leave it to God, leave it up to God, give it, give them to God.
6: Okay. Well, you don't make a worse enemy by loving them and doing good to them. uh, They cease to be enemies. And I've had that experience and, um, Maybe one other on the panel, you might like to mention something that's happened to you personally, where somebody hated your gut, so to speak, and yet uh, ended up as a friend because you never treated them as an enemy. Does anyone have an experience to share here?
0: I uh, experienced that here in Australia, and I experienced that back home. When I arrived in Australia with my you know, limited uh, experience and language here... Uh, you know sometimes you draw um people to you you know which don't have always the best uh, interests for you and I remember one person which you, uh, really started to treat me uh like um an outsider and uh that just went on and uh, didn't didn't look good and I remember one encounter we had together uh trying to be very Uh, diplomatic you know the other person tried to accuse me of something Uh, and at that moment I realized that I really need to change my attitude towards that person and not to take in account what he's saying or doing but to show who I am truly And that actually helped a lot. And we reconciled. That was a good thing. You know, I don't want to go into details, but we reconciled just because I was not taking to heart what he was saying. And I don't know exactly why he would have said that or not.
6: Okay. All right. Well, now, Ledger was just telling us what Jesus said about enemies. What did the Apostle Paul have to say about how we should treat our enemies? Um, Brenton?
3: Yes, he says this in Romans 12, verse 18 through to verse 21. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, A very brief comment on that, I think, is this. When we use the term enemy, why is somebody your enemy? Is it because of something you've said or done or they've perceived that you've said or done? I think wherever possible, and this is where Jesus says if we've got a problem with one another, we should go and talk to the person in question and ask what it is that I've done uh, in order that we may rectify the problem. But if they refuse to tell you, one of the important issues, I think, is Paul says here too, as far as lies within your power, um, live peaceably with everybody. I believe that's a very valid principle today, Lynn. But there are circumstances in life, and some of us as panel have probably found them, where regardless of what you do, um, the person who allegedly is your enemy will not change. A, they won't tell you what the problem is, and B, they continue to believe whatever it is that they wish to believe about you. I have found personally this. I have found that um, if what I'm accused of is not true, I have nothing to fear. I do not need to defend myself. And I could give you enough examples to keep us going for the next couple of sessions. But I have found that I do not need to defend myself. I remember a situation years ago where people believed that I was wrong. A couple of years later, when they found out that wasn't the case, they said, why didn't you tell us? I said, because you wouldn't have believed me if you had have told me, told you, you had to find out for yourself. So we don't need to defend ourselves, but we do need to treat them in a Christ-like manner. And even that, so even though Paul says here it keeps burning coals of fire on their head, not in every case is it successful. Uh, sometimes it does make enemies into friends, but sometimes it still doesn't change their attitude. But Jesus says, leave the outcome of that with me.
6: Yes, yes, that's important. by the way, This coals of fire business doesn't mean uh, uh, to make things worse. There is special meaning. We don't have that these days, but it means to actually do good. Ken, what did the Lord say to Jacob, who had his enemies in his time of stress?
1: Well, I'm just looking here at Isaiah 43 and verse 1. And the Lord said, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine.
6: Yes. Here's God's promise. I know who you are. Don't worry. I even know your name. I'll look after you. Mm. Well, in Psalm 23, 6, the last verse in that psalm, It talks about surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love will follow God's people all the days of their lives. Will, would you like to make a short comment on this?
5: Yes, the picture of Jesus leading his sheep as the good shepherd is a very comforting one. Um, They know his voice, but notice that he is in front. While he leads, there is the double comfort of knowing that there is something behind as well following the sheep from behind as they move where the shepherd is going. So my assurance here is that uh, of other securities appointed by the shepherd, mercy and goodness following all the days of our life. So in real life, wolves and other predators would try to snatch the stragglers. Lagging behind can be dangerous, even in the Christian life. We need mercy and loving kindness to help help us keep up with or close to the Savior. So mercy and goodness have a good track record in the Scriptures, Len, and they become vital in our walk with the Lord. Jesus is in front, but following us is goodness and mercy.
6: And the very last statement says... And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does that mean, Joe?
2: Well, it means that there is a purpose in the shepherd's leading. There is a destination. The shepherd doesn't take us out around randomly. Um, we have been through pleasant meadows and rippling streams and refreshing breezes and sunlight, but life also has shadows. Sometimes we have sorrow and tears, but if we continue following the shepherd, He will bring us out safely and we will truly dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus came to rescue and to save all. And I believe to dwell in the house of the Lord forever as his sons and daughters means eternal life. In Revelation 7, just quickly, it says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that comforting? Yes.
6: Well, listeners, I hope what we've been sharing today has been of help to you because I know some of you have suffered loss and maybe health issues and family issues. And it might be good for you to read Psalm 23 just by yourself. It's the most well-known and the best loved of all the Psalms. It's a poetic picture of the life of a committed follower of the Lord. Much of what is said in this psalm is reiterated and expanded on in other scriptural references, particularly in the Gospels. The main theme of Psalm 23 is God's love, care and provision for those who are faithful to him. Just as the Lord was with Joseph, he will be with all who call on his name, and who are faithful to him. Not only is God with his people, but we are reminded that if we continue to honour God in our lives, a time is coming when we will be with him. Not just him with us, but we will be with him as his guests at his table in heaven, not just once, but forever. And as a panel... We want to be with our Lord forever. And we urge you to make the decision to do the same. Joe, would you close with prayer today, please?
2: Father, thank you for the encouragement that we have received in studying Psalm 23. We are so glad that you are our shepherd and that you will never leave nor forsake, even when we disappoint and have strayed far away. Help us to remember that nothing can separate us from your love and you, that you long to to bring us to yourself, to be together forever. So, Lord, when we hear your voice, help us to answer and to come to you and not hide away. Life is not always easy, but we know that we can trust you. So be with each person here and listening in and be our shepherd always, for we want to dwell in your house forever. Mm. your name, Amen. 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 Amen.
0: Well, thank you, everyone, for your participation today. This is a brand new study, and we are going to explore a little bit more in the next uh, coming weeks. We really open up this aspect of the relationship, you know, with uh, God and us. And we talked about uh, uh, the shepherds' crucible. But we are going to learn a bit more about uh, the crucible that come and we'll invite you to join us next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.